0: Before this week's episode, I want to take a second to shout out some of our amazing podcast partners who have been gifting some incredible products to me and my guests to create the perfect cocktail and general book vibe to just, you know, curl up with a good or bad memoir and have a real time. Tenteo Tequila, Natalie's Juice, Paquetto Gear, Yield, and PF Candle. I love these products. So Tenteo tequila, it's, you know, it's where I get my favorite alcohol. Natalie's juice mixes with them to create a great cocktail. My favorite is blood orange. Paquetto has so many products. They have these really cute little pins that I make book notes with. They have tiny little spoons that I use in my tea and I'm really obsessed with a tiny spoon. I, I don't know why it just changes the whole tea experience. Gear and Yield have beautiful home products and cups to put this all in and PF candle because listen, what is a vibe without a candle? You know what I mean? You got to light a candle to have a vibe. I'm obsessed with these brands and their products. Go to my Instagram. You'll see my haul of my favorite products and specific things from these brands. Oh, and PF Candle is giving the cookies 20% off your purchase when you use the code book club at checkout. So thank you, podcast partners. And now let's dive into the episode. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. As you may have noticed, it's Tuesday. We normally drop our episodes on Friday, but we are dropping a book episode on Tuesday because this Friday I am dropping another glamorous trash talk episode. Thank you so much for all your supportive comments and feedback about the first one. You've encouraged me to do this next one where I'm going to be discussing Love is Blind Season 4 and the weaponization of the mean girl. So tune in on Friday for that. And right now it's your book episode. So as you know, I'm your host, Chelsea Devont. As I'm a writer, a comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. But this episode, we are book clubbing Betty Gilpin's 2022 memoir. It came out last fall titled All the Women in My Brain and Other Concerns. I did not think it was possible to love Betty Gilpin more than I already do, and somehow it was possible. I, I just love her so much. You know Betty as the lead in Glow on Netflix, she played Liberty Bell. She was also the lead of the movie The Hunt, which we're gonna get into in the podcast, Dr. Nancy and Masters of Sex. And where I first saw her on screen as a different doctor, Dr. Carrie, in Nurse Jackie. And we're going to start this episode with a clip about Betty talking about writing her book. Yeah, I think my brain has always been crowded and metaphory in a way that my husband and therapist have asked me to tone down for clarity, and my editor certainly and the world at large. Um So I thought I'd double down and really lean into (laughs) confusing roundabout metaphors. It's almost like a little cat toy for my brain to be like, think about a pine tree metaphor instead of whether or not the shape of your face sucks in this camera angle. Okay, we are diving into Betty Gilpin's memoir today with a guest I am so excited about. It's been such a long time coming. They're an Emmy award-winning TV producer. They just left their job producing Good Morning Washington in Washington, D.C. on ABC. Also, they produced The Pet Show, The Mother Side, and they're about to start a new job producing the number one rated WTTG in Washington, D.C., where they will be producing shows such as Good Day, D.C., Lion Lunch Hour, and DM v zone and they gave celebrity book club their very first tv press they brought us on good morning washington it's like one of the biggest news shows in the nation please welcome kyle ridley hi kyle
1: hi chelsea so excited to be here been following you for years and i'm so excited to dive into this book
0: (laughs) okay kyle so i introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met will you please tell the story
1: right so i've been uh Big fan of your podcast since day one. I listened to the very, you know, first episode. I'm a a Patreon subscriber and I keep up with your Instagram stories. But it was maybe three, maybe more than three years ago where I heard you on Bitch Sesh. So it was many. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of Casey Wilson and Danielle Schneider. And I'm one of those fans who listens to every single episode of Bitch Sesh, but I have never watched The Housewives. I don't need to, really, with them.
0: Because you've got them.
1: Amazing. I've got them, and I really just am in love with their humor and their dynamic. But you were on a few years ago. They're so special. uh, Talking about The Housewives, but you were also talking about memoirs and how much you love them. And then you mentioned that you were going to start a podcast... Many months later, and you were like, and we're going to do Jessica Simpson and Mariah Carey first. And I like took a note. I was like, who is this girl? Let me follow her. So I've been keeping up with you since, since then. And then you finally launched it. And I was producing Good Morning Washington in D.C. for the last several years. And so when you launched it, I was like, well, this is going to be a new guest. Because sometimes we talk about, like, weekly recommendations or whatever. So I was like, let's get Chelsea on here first to talk about her podcast. And then just have her come on seasonally to give, like, her favorite recommendations of books she wants us to read and then ones like we just need to skip or just skim just do the you know the CliffsNotes versions so yeah
0: I Kyle I I actually did I did not know that bitch slash fire cuz I just know you from someone who was like hello I also yes. love memoirs and I remember early on you sent me a picture of your bookshelf and I said this is a person I can trust <laughs> and love like I've seen their bookshelf it is my bookshelf like we are friends it's stacked I, it might be more stacked than mine which I didn't think was possible
1: No I will often do the audiobook and the um, memoir as well, which I did with Betty's. I read it, and then I wanted to hear her do it, which made me love it even more.
0: Okay, that is so hardcore. It is. A lot of cookies DM'd me, and they said Betty's audiobook is one of the best audiobooks of all time do you agree what makes it so good
1: so betty gilpin's memoir is you hear the the dry sense of humor she has because which i don't think can always translate when you're first starting the book you don't really get a sense of her tone and then when you hear her you can sort of hear her humor and everything she says i love just her take on fame and how like she's so not jaded by any of it um and then it's also it also gets really emotional when she talks about uh her you know family her dogs her husband her relationships um, but made me love her even more
0: she's also i'm going to say the greatest actor of our time mm-hmm. she she is the greatest actor of our time so i cannot i can only imagine how good that audiobook is having someone like that read it and the other thing i'll say and i said this uh on your show when you brought me on but this is the I'm not, I'm not sure quite how to articulate it. Basically, I read, I read very fast. I read memoirs very fast because usually they're very digestible books. This book took me months to get through. Mm. It is the longest it's ever taken me to read a book because it is so dense. It, and we're going to get into all of it, but it's like, so when you say to gauge her tone, like I can totally see how she brings you into her world. Like speaking maybe a little easier than just the text the text is beautiful. It's like the lyrical specificity and metaphors at such a volume mm-hmm. is something I've not experienced before. Would you agree?
1: I would. So when I was reading it, um, I just remember getting maybe a quarter way through and I just thought like, wow, I, I would want my book to read like this because it captures, I think her vulnerability and her humor and her, her, her sort of darkness in a way that I always yeah. love with memoirs. I love when you can be super vulnerable, but funny, but also like cry, laugh one second. So I actually, and as far as the writing goes, what came to mind was, I know we both read Minnie Driver's book earlier this year and we thought like, that was like, you know, professor level genius writing. I felt like this was just as impressive, but in a different way where I would, I would hope my words come out like this. Um, but I don't know if they could, but like, that's what I would strive for. And then it sort of felt like Minnie Driver's book. It was like, I could never do that. It was like, I don't even know where she's coming from. She's like a (laughs) genius. I I just like, where is that? But yeah, I felt like this was attainable.
0: I feel the opposite. I feel like Mini drivers was professor level. And like, maybe one day if I tried really hard with Betty, I read it and I was like, I, I could never, I could never do this. And all, and I would die to have some of the lines she wrote come out of Mm -hmm. my mouth. And like, I, she is a unattainable level to me, but I agree. And here's the other thing we have to talk about before we dive into the book. Similar to Minnie Driver and my guest, Elizabeth Lame, had a theory about that book that I think is the exact theory for this book. The title is a crime. So Minnie Driver's title was Managing Expectations. Very blah. Right. And then inside the book, just pure poetry. Betty's title and the cover, I think, I think it's a crime. I want to persecute the publishing house. It's all the women in my brain and other concerns, and then the cover is pink with a bunch of Barbie head dolls, kind of um, in a the same Barbie head doll just in a pattern. I just feel like it gives you it, it. There's such high art in this book. Like this book is like art and witchery, and like it's so magic. And I feel like the cover does not portray that
1: at all. No, just the Barbie heads. Um, I do like the title and other concerns, but she often refers to um, all the women in her brain as brain women. I almost think that would be more interesting. Um, yes. But no, the Barbie heads, it's, I, I don't love it. I would just love to see a photo of her. I'm just, maybe I'm, I'm just simple, but just a photo of her because she's a badass.
0: So, okay. So let's dive into it. Cause I think then it'll, we can discuss, but I, so I, I'm going to read the first paragraph in a second, but first I want to read on page two, three, four, and five. I'm just going to read some lines. This is her talking about what it's like for her to write a book. And of all the lines I read, I think they could have been the title. So she said, suggesting that your ideas are worthy is identity suicide. It's bagpipes at a library. It's a selfie at a funeral. Okay. Bagpipes at a library. Great title. Selfie at a funeral. Great title. Um, And then she said, while many of my braver friends seem to run with a spear at the horizon, I sat with binoculars and a notebook. And now, before I suddenly throw my computer in an acid bath, I'd like to present my field notes. My name is Betty. Sorry, as an actor, I've been conditioned to exchange deepest fears and traumas before names. If the brain is a house, I'd like to get right to the terrifying attic and haunted second bathroom of truths and just bypass the vestibule of small talk and boundaries. Don't worry, this won't be an actor memoir. I said, no, I want your actor memoir. I know. I want all of that, which I do think is this, like, we're going to get into it in this Salem versus Barbie essay. But yeah, I I did want all of that. And we did get some of it. She also said, trying not to feel shame for wanting things and battling the evil anklets of depression and anxiety while walking through the world as an apologizing Barbie. Apologizing Barbie, great title.
1: Yes. (laughs) One that I wrote down, she also referred to herself. It's not current anymore, but she said she was a, a mute feather woman.
0: Oh my God. Actually, let's read the very, very first paragraph of this book, and you will understand everything that Kyle and I are saying. Dear reader, picture a mute feather woman. You're right. Incredible title, Mute Feather Woman. Dear reader, picture a mute feather woman. She's essentially a bloodless meerkat recluse working as a night janitor for an apothecary. She does helpful things like apologize to the sun and lie face down on census day, so she's not on record for being alive now ask her to stand in the center of a farmer's market and pop belt reasons why she loves herself and should be elected mayor. This is me writing a book.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) But I mean, I had to, wait, I'm gonna read one more paragraph. She said, to write you a letter listing reasons why you should be interested in my brain is to pour curdled milk on my personal bill of rights, which for years decreed that the shadows and unsent idea emails were my mental cheers bar. (laughs) I'm just like, it, this is why it took me. I just felt like I had to reread everything ten times to to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, and now rereading that, it, it does make it seem like that is maybe not attainable. Like I don't know how I would come up with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and she even talks about her blendered brain. She's like, "Welcome to my blendered brain." She, yeah, and I mean, it's the most beautiful brain I've ever walked into, but it also feels like um, what's that J Lo movie where she like goes in this serial killer's the mind, cell? and she's like in these. The cell, she's in these like wild gowns and creatures that like, I felt like her, her brain is not the cell, but it felt like kind of wandering into a place like that was my experience of the book. Yeah.
1: She calls herself a monster soup. Like all yeah. the women, it's a monster soup in her.
0: Her, her whole arc in this book, it, it can, on page five, she has a sentence where she says, it's in your hands to decide your fate as magic or sweatpants. And- Then she goes into an essay titled Salem or Barbie. It's kind of where the cover comes from. It's where a lot of um, the arc of her life comes from. And did you hear her first podcast uh, interview with Las Culturistas? Yes.
1: Yes, I did.
0: So- it's either, either she went on that podcast and articulated something that meant a lot to her and went and wrote it down, or she was already writing the book and it came out on the podcast. Cause it's like, uh, she says so much that ended up in the book. I don't know if you, I, I read it very close to listening to that episode. Cause all the cookies sold me mm-hmm. too. And I was like, Whoa, these two are like companion pieces.
1: Yeah. I have a feeling she was probably writing it at the same time.
0: Yeah. And it, so, so this is the arc, the whole book. The whole, like, I'm not going to include the the memoir on my life, even, even though we do all want it. She has told herself we don't want it. And in the book, she talks about the struggle of, is she going to show the Salem side of her, the dark, ugly, goblin monster side of her? Or is she going to show the Barbie side of her? And the Barbie side of her being something very fake and put on for the world that brings a lot of success that she then enjoys. But then she walks around being like, no, 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 wait, I'm actually like the Salem person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very dense first essay.
1: Yeah, she says she doesn't want to know herself truly, and so the solution is the easy Barbie sale.
0: Yeah, and as an actor, to she talks about, I want to read this line, hide your darkness, show your belly button. As, like, the key to success. Exactly. And how she's just going to struggle between the two, even in writing the book, being like, does anyone want to read this book? And then she, while writing one of the most beautiful books.
1: Exactly. Another one, another line that really stuck out to me was, she says, It was more difficult to weave my journal into my outward identity as a woman and easier to craft the illusion of a fuckable, traumaless girl, easier to stay in the Barbie cell, collect validation points as the cheap way to stay alive and needed, and let the Salem stuff be a secret. So hide your darkness. Oh, show your belly button.
0: yeah. Show your belly button. Oh wait, i want I want to read another one that uh, <laughs> my com- my companion quote about her journal. I spent adolescence feeling like a vile dunce leper clawing at any semblance of acceptance. The post puberty realization that my expirable qualities could achieve an open door or eye contact with little to no work felt like I'd discovered how to frack champagne. Okay, also fracking champagne, my memoir title? <laughs> it's so good. Exactly. Um, but th- it was so interesting too because it's such a clearly real uh, struggle for her. And then, and then you feel the struggle in the book. And so it's like, she's not writing a book from like, and then I realized that I, I am Salem Barbie and like both like, she kind of goes back and forth within the book of like, should I write this at all? But then she keeps going. And I, it was just very layered and and beautiful and Mm -hmm. relatable.
1: Yeah. And in that same essay, she, I think struggles with, her um, physical identity as well. Um, she, I, one thing she wrote was, it's difficult to pick up a sword when you hate yourself. She says, we should enjoy the ant heartbeat of a second where we look like princesses, but not at the expense of abandoning the things that will make us queen. I don't want my worst nightmare to be wrinkles and irrelevance. I want it to be that I never listened to the witches' ideas before they gave up and stopped singing. <laughs>
0: The book is so, I'm going to say hard to read because you kind of have to sit with that paragraph for like a month. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and I'm saying hard to read as a compliment, like, holy shit, the amount you could pack into three sentences. I know.
1: It seems like that's what you, like, that's your goal of writing that in your day's writing. If you're, if you're writing a book, it's like, okay, that's that. (laughs) So it'll take me, you know, a few more years to get through to finish. But I'm wondering how fast these things come to her.
0: I, if I, you know what I have to say from listening to interviews with her, I, this is definitely just how her brain works. Yeah. Like she is spouting off perfect, overly specific metaphors. Like it is a fucking job. Like, like as if she works at a factory mm-hmm. and she's just like. Kaching, ching ka-ching, ka-ching. ka-ching. Um, it is, it is truly a gift. And I think the flip side of it is that she, she does not deliver, like it is not overly accessible. There's not clean sentences inviting you into the book. There's sometimes not even clarity in the book. Right. Like she even writes in the back of her book, like thank you to my editor for reminding me that people should understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so I think she kind of like exists on this like higher level, but it did make me feel like the book does not come to you. Like, you come to the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the book is not going to, like, offer itself as an experience. You kind of have to fight for it. It reminded me of living in New York City.
1: I'm wondering if—I feel like this book, like many drivers, fell under the radar. And I'm wondering if people didn't know how to market it. Um, I don't think it was on the bestsellers list, but, like, I'm really hoping people discover this more.
0: Me, too. And that's what I think about that theory that um, Elizabeth Lane had, or, which is just that the title undersold— yeah the contents Mm -hmm. and the title doesn't even sell a false thing that you would want to buy. Does that make sense? Like she didn't even fully do the Barbie thing, which would be, you know, Betty Gilpin in her glow costume in a pink leotard on the Mm -hmm. cover, you know, being like rocket girls. And like that would have sold to a certain market. Mm -hmm. And instead, I feel like the book hid itself much like she tends to want to do.
1: Yeah, it seems a bit like indie punk rock. Like, I don't I don't need to. Do any of this. This is my book. People can yeah. buy it if they want, which yeah. is good. But we are like, we want more people to read this, Betty.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, but she's talking about it. She, oh, okay. So I also underlined it's difficult to pick up a sword when you hate yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I listen. Do I want to get a tattoo from a line in someone else's book? No. Do I maybe have to? Yeah, maybe. Like, I, you might see me one day, and I'll be like, I got the Benny Gilbert <laughs> tattoo. And it'll be that. It'll be, it's difficult to pick up a sword when you hate yourself. I would wear
1: that proud. Um, Anything. Like, this book is full yeah. Just cover your body.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. But then I'm going to meet her and be like, I love you. And she'll be like, please, <laughs> please stop. Um. So, okay. So, let's get past the first chapter if we yes. can. <laughs> it's so dense. There's so much to get to. Uh. So, she comes from… Uh, two parents who are actors, which makes the most sense in the world. She said, this is why my my brain is so blendered. She grew up in the theater. She grew up backstage. She she grows up with these two incredibly talented parents. And her mom's like this tiny little witchery of a woman. And her dad's this like big booming, like uh he, he has this like lower voice. He's like this tall cowboy. And those two people together make Betty. So that felt like that made sense to me. What'd you think of the parents chapter?
1: Yeah. I, I liked how she, um, in the audiobook, you, she like says how her dad pronounces things like stew. Like in, instead of like, you're making a pot of stew. It was like stew or, um, why? And, uh, her dad just like, he had big gravitas is what she said. And her yes. dad seemed like a character. Yes. I did, um, underline that her dad would pretend to be attacked and eaten in the basement. <laughs> like he'd be in the basement and
0: when they were kids
1: like well who's there and like suddenly he'd be like feigning you know the voice of being attacked and killed and and she was just like we were scared at first definitely characters um she did say her mom is like this you know demure person but also very outspoken which i really like because i think she is too she's learning to be more so you can see throughout her career
0: Yes, and her mom is batty in a, in a positive way. She 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 wrote this one paragraph where I was like, I still can't picture this, but I love that she included it, which is that she once found her mom heckling her cleaning lady being like, faster, faster. Oh God, you missed a spot. How could you? And Betty pulls the cleaning woman aside. She's like, hey, I'm so sorry. My mom's just kind of like fucking crazy. And she said the cleaning woman looks at her like she's crazy and goes, what are you talking about? Patricia is magic.
1: hmm I agree.
0: And I was like, because she was doing, Patricia, her mom, was doing this elaborate, probably years-long standing bit about the cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it's something I would want to witness.
1: Yeah, I am I can really see how both of them shaped her current personality, for sure.
0: Yes, yes. And so then she gets into an essay, which it's, so it's something I've actually specifically been writing about myself. So to see it in her book written about uh, as A God writes and then thinking of my own peasant writing was uh, difficult, but also spoke to me emotionally. So it's about basically hiding uh, behind other women your whole life, which is something that I uh, absolutely did. And so she wrote this. I've spent my life lily pad hopping from goddess to goddess quietly plagiarizing their toe rings and credos, hoping that my mirroring would count as personhood, as if I were trying to get through Ellis Island with the what she said method. <laughs> so much of my life perched at the end of another girl's bed in floral bike shorts or her hand me down ambercrombie do you know do-you-know-where-your-children-are jeans, my body in full italics, leaning toward her story and dreaming of the day I would morph into a protagonist in my own life. <laughs> I gasp.
1: Yeah, I like that um, essay on her uh, friendships and also on um, sort of how her friendships and herself are, shape her view of having her own child um, and her fear of that. Um, she did say like she let girlfriends change her when she was younger, uh, which mm-hmm. I think we can all relate, you know, men and women, uh, just sort of letting them dictate how you think they want you to be. Uh, and how she sort of had to grow out of that. But she also talked about like breaking up with friends in her teens and how she says her friend Bunny eventually told her that she was the only person to ever break her heart at 15 years old because she had yeah. broken off that friendship. And it, it just reminded me of those friends as teens like, you know, 20 years ago, because I think I still hold feelings for from people from my teens. And I think to share that vulnerability, like that a friend can break your heart is 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 pretty, pretty big.
0: Yeah. I also loved it because the whole essay is about how Bunny is the it girl and Betty is legit carrying Bunny's books around and wearing Bunny's jeans and just kind of being like a yes man, like whatever Bunny wants, whatever Bunny wants. And she talks about how Bunny never asks her how she's doing asks her ass or how she's feeling, but she's always there for Bunny. And so it's this whole story about how Bunny's kind of a bitch and kind of the shitty friend. And eventually Betty is like, you know what? This friendship's bad for me. I can't have it anymore. And later Bunny tells her you broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like, that that was the, where the whole essay flips for me, where it's like, oh yeah, the the complicatedness of female friendships, a constant theme on this podcast. But you know, for Bunny, Betty is the villain. Betty's the one who was her best friend and left her. Um, and also, I'm going to bring up something so fucked up, Kyle, but this is what it reminded me of. This is so fucked up. So in my small town high school years, I had a just a horrible ogre of a man who was the older brother of a guy in high school. I don't know how this, I don't know why this happened, but at some point he was like, you know what the secret is to making a, a girl pussy whipped? And I was like, no, what? Tell me. And he was like, You do everything for them. You say, yes, you bring them gifts. You call back. You're just too much. You're just all, you're just all over them. And then you take it away and you've got them for life. (laughs) It was disgusting. And as a teenager, I was like, remember this, (laughs) never let this happen to you. (laughs) And then, you know, you, I watched that ogre man have lots of girlfriends. But anyways, it reminds me of that. Like when you're the yes man, you're the quiet man. You are the one getting walked Mm -hmm. over. And yet when you take it away, you're also, you've are also you also been someone who's done a disservice.
1: Exactly. To the relationship. And, and she talks about how many of her friendships started as her kind of being the girl on the side, like the mean girl judging. But once you connect with them and you share your deepest feelings, like just how much you learn about someone when you actually are face-to-face and you share. I want to read something she said. She said, Many of the friendships I have now that, that keep me from driving into the sea started with an afar eye roll. Then the later shock of sharing hate of self and love a farce. I am frustrated that I have to keep learning this lesson over and over, assigning each new scarf wearer to the aloof perfection category, wasting so much time before realizing sameness.
0: Uh, There's
1: so many people uh, that maybe I've like looked and be like, oh, that's not for me. And then you bump into them or you just be like, hey, and you're like, oh, we're best friends now. It's we're the same.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. And how easy it is to cast someone yeah and like oh they're perfect that they've got it together they're cool or even like they're mean they're Mm -hmm. rude they're whatever only to find out you are the same person this is such a a dumbass lesson but it's like yeah most of most of the people you're competing with are the same and i'm saying competing because i'm like in entertainment Mm -hmm. so you're always like competing because there's like few jobs but like you're in the same position it's like Producers and the news, it's like, that's so highly competitive. And then you miss out on people you'd maybe love. Mm-hmm. Is, does yeah,
1: that, is that? I, it totally makes true? sense. Yeah.
0: So she gets into this uh, chapter titled advice to a young actress. And as a actress myself, oh God, it, the pain of recognition. Um, okay. I'm going to read some of it. And she has some incredible feminism in it. She says back in 2008, the entertainment industry hadn't been guilted into performed feminism yet. I said, Oh God, it Mm. hurts. Then she said, Now the secret's out that we have organs and ambitions. The world is slowly starting to adjust. We are now in a strange Frankenstein time where we're trying to sell the merch of feminist victory before having the victory itself. Being an actress now feels like a bizarre hybrid of 1952 and 2053. It's nodding, yes, everything's fixed on a women we did it panel while spending all your still smaller than the boy's paycheck on sheep semen lotion to beg the world to believe you're still 23. Uh. I said, yes, that is that is feminism right now. There's nothing more uh, exact than that and sad. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, I agree. I don't think she refers to Me Too, but she's definitely hinting toward it. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's not all fixed, yes. for sure. Uh, I also liked in that she talked a lot about auditioning and how hard it was for her. And she talked about her first big TV role and how it was... And and she doesn't say it, but this was Nurse Jackie is what she was talking about.
0: Yes, I, I wrote that too. This is Nurse Jackie. <laughs> yes, she was
1: like, I came in on like the fourth or fifth season. I played a doctor. I, cause I watched all of Nurse Jackie and she, did you I love loved it? it and I loved her character. I thought she was so strong, but just to hear about what was going on behind the scenes, um, because it's such a, I think, empowering show with, she said she was surrounded by these all-star women. So obviously Edie Falco, uh. Merritt Weaver, Anna Devere Smith, but that her character had continual sex and nude scenes. And she says she thought it was the toll to live the dream. She said um, she had three years of 5 a.m. exercises before work. She avoided foods that made viewers think she lived in the real world. She wished she was braver and that she felt sick on the final day because her body wasn't used to um, normal foods because the day before her last day, she like went all out and drank and ate a normal meal. And she got sick on the final day and um, cracked her pants,
0: yeah, shit right through her pants. She told that story on a late night show, too, of like, because she just hadn't had chocolate cake and whiskey in three years. and so but you so, okay, I, I love what you just said about that because i I did watch the show when it came out, so it was a long time ago, but I loved it. I thought it was incredible. Female characters, incredible writing, complicated, but also like a juicy hospital show. And when her character came on screen, I said, This is the most talented woman alive, specifically because she was playing a dumb, slutty doctor, mm-hmm. which are three adjectives I love in one role. <laughs> like, you're a doctor, you're like, that's fucking huge, but also she's like dumb and slutty. And she played it so well. It was so funny. It was my favorite character for a long time. Brilliant. And to hear her write about I know. it. Feeling as if like it wasn't the most brilliant role of all time actually made me so sad. I I thought it was incredible. Um, I see what she's saying, but I was like, oh, you were so good. Also, so when you pitch um, TV show ideas, it, they often have you say like, oh, this would be for like this actress or think this actress and this role or whatever. Betty Gilpin has been in every single pitch I've ever pitched as Think Betty Gilpin, no matter what I've written, because of that role in Nurse Jackie, and. I don't know. I just, I feel, it feels so sad to, that she doesn't know how good
1: she was. I hope she does. Um, but yeah. you can have, you can be on a hit show and have this huge role and think it's going to be your breakout and then you just don't know what's going on behind the scenes, which, you know, with is with every show. But it's also a little disappointing yeah. that such a show that we tout as, you know, one of the first really huge female-driven, um, it won so many awards. But, there was pressure behind the scenes and she really, she felt like she had to be naked every week and had to do those scenes. Yeah. It's like,
0: yo, and, and that she had to look a certain way to be naked.
1: Yeah. I'm just, it makes you me know, think cause like, it's
0: like anybody can be naked, I know. but she was like, no, I've got it. Yeah. And I'm sure she had that pressure from the network. Like you, you only get this role if you are not eating for three years.
1: Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, did, did she have a relationship with. Merritt Weaver, Anna Devere Smith, or Edie Falco, who I don't think were naked on that show. <laughs> yeah. And no. just should be surrounded <laughs> no, by it was all just that stuff. So just you.
0: Yeah. No wonder she felt that way to be like, oh, I'm not these great actresses winning the Emmys. I'm the naked girl. Uh, even though it was such a powerfully naked character, I, I thought, I mean, her character was my favorite.
1: Yeah. She um, was in her early 20s then. Yeah. She came across so powerful yeah. and wise and like older, but she was in her early 20s.
0: I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own and it comes out on June 4th and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing traumatic memoir but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also... I am reading the audiobook personally so I'm personally narrating it so if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever and the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks and thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir so thank you so so much. Um, she talks about how Hollywood meetings should be abolished hilarious, I agree and then she goes into a chapter about going to boarding school -hmm And I did, I did slip a little bit away in these chapters. What was your experience of these chapters?
1: So she did say like when she was 17, she went to boarding school and that she slipped into a deep depression. Uh, She was always stoned. She also gets into like her first, I think, romantic or sexual relationships at this time um, Mm -hmm. where she was. She said she spent many 2 to 5 a.m. nights with, with a man at that time. Oh, they'd walk into the woods together, and once in a blue moon, he would say he loved her. And she ended up spending years with him.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's also a little, you know, she, she very artfully writes about certain things in her life. Like, she's giving you moments, moments of this relationship that you can, like, pull from.
1: Yeah, she said she, she had to follow a code of that relationship, not to acknowledge that relationship with other people or in yeah. public and she went along with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, have you ever been in a relationship where the person's like, let's keep it a secret? Cause I have,
1: I've been in relationships where people are like, uh, so I'm not like looking to be exclusive or, um, let's keep, yeah, let's keep this between us for now. And let's like, keep it yes! casual. It's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not looking for that either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really, casual. Oh yeah, I'm
1: dating other people too. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: Right. <laughs> As you're just like ravenously running around being like, someone else go on a date with me so I can continue to date the other
1: person. Yeah, it's it, it's tough. Mm.
0: Yeah, it is really tough. So, I, I mean, that definitely, definitely spoke to me. And then she goes to theater school. Yes. She writes this. I went to theater school. I almost went to NYU, but Anthony Moretti had gone the year before. If you remember the plot of Felicity, she follows a boy who doesn't love her to NYU. I didn't have the hair volume or emotional stomach to be Felicity. I went instead to Fordham, um, which I loved. I, I went to NYU. So these chapters, again, like if it, it felt like I was her twin and she was like, and now I will gut you with the truth that you know I is bet. true.
1: Well, any reference to Felicity gets me because that's like, probably in my top shows of all time. <laughs> it really just takes me back. Really? I mean, just those 90s teen Felicity, my mm-hmm. so-called life. I mean, I did watch Dawson's Creek. Like, it takes me back. She also, but she also says that she, um, in theater school or shortly after she auditioned for um, Gossip Girl, how she was always mm-hmm. auditioning, but always got like offered really old roles. Like I just said, she looked like she was really wise and older at and Nurse Jackie, but she was in her early 20s. So she said she got a callback at Gossip Girl to be, the older teacher to the the kids that she was younger than.
0: <laughs> yes. So she auditioned to play a high school yes. student and they called her back to play the teacher. I also think this is because that is during the years where we relegated women with curvy bodies to being grandmas because, and she writes this in, in the same chapter. She said, physically, I went from shivering Bieber to colonial Maryland 30 pounds of curves in two years, my cup size soared from B to a letter that costume designers now blink in a pause after I say it as if I had told them my bra size is gopher. In that year, they were like, you're a hideous grandma, though,
1: because
0: you have boobs. That was awful. Very painful. Very painful. I know.
1: I mean, and she's probably been working on her body for so long when she documents the extreme workout that she had to do for nurse Jackie for years and waking up that early and sort of starving herself often. And then you see like, she probably had to go through the same thing with glow. It's like, and she was mind-blowingly strong in that show, but it seems like it's just like never enough. There's always pressure no matter what.
0: Yeah. That's such a good point. And okay. So still in the acting chapter, she says, um, there was an exercise called nothing God just typing it sends a laser chill through my hands. You sat in a chair in front of the class and said the word nothing. The assignment was to say nothing with nothing. You don't get it? Go to hell. Megan from Indiana sat in the chair. Nothing. Still something. The teacher blow darted the word from the back. I also had to do this exercise uh, where you have to say nothing. Uh, while-
1: <laughs> it sounds daunting. I it's, it. I got uncomfortable reading it. It sounds... <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I can just, I I know that's what you guys are skilled in, but it it makes me a little sweat. Makes me sweat. I don't.
0: No, no, I fully came out of this being like um, acting schools, a fucking lie. And like these torturous tactics from the eighties and seventies, when they were like, "Mm, this is acting, but you know, melt candle wax on your arms. So you know, pain. I it's like, we don't actually, that's not actually acting. And it carries on in acting schools with young students. Like if you cannot say nothing while saying nothing, like you're a piece of dog shit who should quit. Um, which I really felt from her. And then she said, there were many moments when I looked around and thought, wow, cool. Robbery. Charging tuition for adults to behave like hallucinating toddlers, which I found exactly to be acting school. And then later she said, make your demons trade knives for paintbrushes and like yourself enough to do it out loud. So that felt like the career. Does any of this map over to the career news, like the sort of like craziness they put you through?
1: Not so much, but I think the people you encounter for sure, talent in general. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And high right. high pressure uh situations. So behind the scenes just as much as is is on screen, which I'm sure nothing compared to your work, but yeah, it it's it's tense. As much as the work she did to like get roles and strive, I, I loved how she talked about like one of her roles was playing a mute ghost. And it felt like <laughs> like it was a big deal for her to get this, but she would play to just like a handful of people and she had to give a monologue while hanging from a noose. <laughs> and it's like she's that's <laughs> What you ha- And talk about, like, uncomfortable stuff you have to go through while trying to make it. That was a big deal for yeah. her.
0: Yeah. Also, <laughs> she is theater culture on high. Like, if you want to be in the theater, read this book. If you've been in the theater, read this book. And if you want to rejoice in the fact that you've never been a part of the theater, mm-hmm. <laughs> read this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so funny. Okay. Then we get into the chapter where she meets her future husband, Cosmo, which I love. So... She gets cast in an indie movie, and the guy playing her brother is Cosmo. Mm -hmm. And she says, uh, his eyes were like earrings. They were so far apart, and an almost stupid blue, like a computer joke. God, that's so descriptive. Um, And she said, he was my type, meaning vibe-wise, he seems a half-asleep fireman with a sedated kitten in one hand and swinging a hammer in another. And they start having this like wild affair, except she's 19 years old. And do you remember how old he is in the book?
1: Like 28.
0: Okay. I mean, like, that's a big, big. it's a big difference, especially in life experience.
1: Well, I mean, I've done it. I mean, the people I dated at 19. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like decades. (laughs) So
0: much was just said in your side.
1: Decades older. Yeah. decades. (laughs)
0: No, uh, uh, yeah, no, I've done it too. This is, this is why I love her and I love them so much. So they get into this relationship where they are, uh, really, really into each other, but very cognizant that she's 19, he's 28. Like they did not want to meet the person they were going to be with for the rest of their life. Uh, at such an early age. And so they decide they're going to keep seeing each other, but they're going to have an open relationship. And this open relationship goes on for four years. Um, And I want to read some quotes about it. It's incredible. She said, reader, I'd wear a tube top with a joint stuck in my cleavage to meet at a museum. So this is her being like, we're having a wild, like, crazy fun time. And then when it turns, is they're just, like, constantly sexy together. And she thinks she's, like, moving really sexy. And she burns her ass on the scalding hot radiator that is in all New York apartment. Like, when she said it, I was like, I know that radiator. It's just like a bare scalding hot radiator. And she hits it. She, like, falls over, and she's like, oh, God, it's over, because she's, like, screaming and crying, and he picks her up and carries her to the bed, goes to his plant on the windowsill, which is an aloe plant. This man is, like, some weird adventurer. I say weird in a positive way. He's, like, this, like, cowboy (sighs) MacGyver, and he just, like, puts aloe on her and then, like, cares for her and gets her M&Ms, and she says, inconveniently, I fell in love with him. So they started this open relationship and she writes, which for straight people is like Abraham and Mary Todd insisting they can figure out TikTok. And so she's talked about how this, this open relationship was insane. Um, Like one night she says um, he turns to her and he goes, Oh B, you left a fancy earring in my bed. I let the ice quiet and cheek turn, remind him that my ears weren't pierced idiots excruciating. It went on for on for
1: years. Um, so I had some thoughts on this, this chapter because open relationships are quite common in the, in the gay world. And I think they're becoming yes. more common all around right now. So I've been with my husband almost 12 years. Uh, in March, it will be 12 oh, know years. That. We've been married about, wow, that's awesome. um, seven and a half years. About a year ago, we opened up our relationship.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. okay. Tell me.
1: I would say that, I, that she did say that their their experience was don't ask, don't tell, which I could not do. Um, just like going to couples therapy and like reading books together. What we've learned is it really is all about communication, mm-hmm. but it's also excruciating. Uh, I think I, I've heard really? the first year is the hardest. Um, I would just caution anyone against it. <laughs> um, really take your time. Not that 11 years is not enough time, but it is hard right now. It's hard. And um, there's many other reasons, but really think about it before you do it. it. I think it might be easier with people starting out just to give it a try, which it seems like they were very early on. But to go into it years later, um, even though you're more confident and comfortable in your relationship, uh, it can really throw you f- for a loop. Uh, that's all I'll say about that right now. As I as I don't wear a I, ring, that is. <laughs> but yeah,
0: a beautiful, uh, very vulnerable offering. So thank sure. you. And as someone who could maybe fall down in a gutter, <laughs> if I thought yes, or thought a woman was attractive, which by the way, I just have to say like, he's a yes. human being that absolutely happens. I, I choose not to believe it. <laughs> I. <laughs> but if I had to like really confront Sexual longing for someone else, I think I'd be that mute ghost hanging from a noose. (laughs) Like, I'm so far away from that type of, um, I'm gonna say enlightenment and growth. And I think it just, yeah, I cannot imagine how much it takes. And so, I'm really giving you your flowers right now, and I'm and giving uh, Betty and and Cosmo. I mean, it's that's a lot, it's a lot to navigate that and still. Find love. And and you're on the journey.
1: I'm on the journey. I am still married, um, but we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like Betty and Cosmo too, where like she said it was excruciating and painful and it went on for four years. Yes, it was painful, but it was also like a part of it. If it was so painful, it wouldn't have gone on that long. They wouldn't be together now, but that it had all those ups and downs within it.
1: Yeah. I think it was probably also painful because when it is, don't ask, don't tell, it leaves a lot of room to just sort of always be asking what what what's going on? What did you do?
0: Right. Or imagining that it's like amazing fairy tale, like incredible, blah blah blah. I mean, I feel like when people um who are in relationships think of dating, uh, they always think of like all the fun, whimsy mm-hmm. parts. And like no one ever remembers that dating is fucking excruciating.
1: <sighs> it is. And I'm dating now. It is. It is. It's da- it's-
0: yeah. Like it, it's so fun and awesome and great. And it's also fucking hell. Like that's what it is. And <laughs> I feel like oftentimes you forget, like, oh, right. Like sometimes it means, oh my God. One time I like went to meet the- this guy at a bar and he sent me a text and he was like, um, I'm outside. I'm the one in a wheelchair. And I was like, okay. And then the next text was, just kidding. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, you're a comedian. Uh, So I just kind of wanted to make you laugh. And I was like, I want to go home. And the date hadn't even started. uh, That was me meeting him outside the door. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I I thought you
1: would find, you know, disability really, really funny,
0: really hilarious. And you're like, cool, dude. Oh, God. So she and Cosmo stay together, which, is fucking wild. Um, And then she gets into a chapter where I'm going to do a crossover with the Viola Davis memoir, who said this almost verbatim and Betty wrote, whatever your thing was in the high school lunchroom, that is how you will feel in your career. Attention and paychecks don't make it better. They make it louder.
1: I highlighted that as well. Yeah.
0: And so she's talking about like finding some success in her career at Mm -hmm. this point. And still feeling like that high school person.
1: Yeah, she says that she uh, suffers from career dysmorphia where she achieves so much and still every time she achieves something, um, it rings in her head um, almost. Like that almost did it. But it wasn't enough to really get to where I guess what she's dreamt of, um, that brass ring.
0: Oh, yeah. She talks about when she's in high school, she's the um, hiding behind her friend bunny, has no personality, should not shine. And she's walking the red carpet now. And so to to feel like she just doesn't belong constantly.
1: How she'll never make it to what she says is the palace. Yes. She says reaching the palace is exclusive and it doesn't allow for individuality. Um, she says you have to conform to reach the palace in, in the world of fame.
0: Yes. Oof. a little break. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay. So we're doing what I am calling a glamorous trash giveaway. We have some really awesome new sponsors on the podcast and they have a bunch of products that they sent me that I'm loving, Uh, but it's a bunch of products. So we're going to give some product away to some cookies. So this month is a writer's pack. It's something to get the creative juices flowing for all our fellow writers and creatives out there. There's a bunch of brands featured in the Glamorous Trash Giveaway Writer's Pack. Paquetto, Gear, Yield, Natalie's Juice, you know, to just get the juices flowing with some actual juice. There is over $290 worth of product in our giveaway. The giveaway starts April 3rd. It runs through May 2nd. And all you have to do to enter is you're going to click the link in our show notes for the giveaway. You click it and there's like a bunch of ways, like you can sign up for the newsletter or you can like go probably like like something of mine. (laughs) There's a bunch of ways you can enter. It's very, very easy. I will give you the full link. I don't know how you would remember this listening to a podcast, but it's ChelseaRoseDeVantes.com slash April giveaway. And it's a little dash. It's April dash giveaway. It's on my website and it's also linked in our show notes and just click it. And you enter to win this writer's pack. So I'm going to do some more of these, hopefully, if this one is fun, and just start giving some shit away. And now, let's go back to the show. And then, okay, so then we get into the psychic moment of the book. So she's on Masters of Sex. Her career is kind of taking off. She's, like, really making it. And her, her left shoulder starts to jump. And it's not just like a little twitch. It is her left shoulder is like rising up and hitting her ear uncontrollable in in intense waves. And she doesn't understand what's happening. And she's going on to set and she has to like make them pause as they wait for this, like flailing shoulder to sit down. And it lasts six days. And she goes to doctor's yeah they're
1: like we don't Went 12 to 12 doctors, which doctors. of
0: course you yeah if you're if my arm was doing that i absolutely would be making the rounds and
1: <laughs> yeah she said her nervous system it was like her nervous system was basically having a panic attack and it was at the end of masters of sex and she had also yes. landed glow but she That's hadn't right. started and, but glow she was yet.
0: doing all of the like wrestling workouts to so she was like mm-hmm. wrestling and working out from like four in the morning to when she goes to masters of sex at 10 a.m. and then shooting that and she starts to break down and so she goes to all these doctors they can't find out what's wrong and so she goes to a witch (laughs) she's like I don't know what I don't know what to say other than I went and saw a witch and I was like yes that is what you do when this (laughs) is happening and um (laughs) and she said oh my god the witch said under her breath if this was a gag she does with every client I don't care it was effective okay let's get started and this this witch woman guides her to talk to her inner child. And basically also the witch is like, my cat hates people. Don't worry. He'll be out of the room. And the cat comes and lays on Betty's stomach. <laughs> and again, she's like, if this is another one of the witch kegs, I don't care. Very effective. The cat knows I need it. And so the witch says, okay, what is nine years old for you? And Betty says, I guess shame. And she says, tell your nine-year-old self that you won't forget her. Because Betty's like, she thinks I'm going to forget her. She thinks I'm going to leave her behind. And she's like, tell her that you won't. And so she starts talking to her nine-year-old. So she's like, I won't leave you behind. You know, as I go into this glamorous Hollywood world, like, I won't, I won't, I won't leave you behind. And her shoulder stops
1: jumping. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> All, I also love how she said she was missing. She had so many women in her brain, but she was, she was missing a Cheryl. No, you you see what the Cheryl Cheryl is. It's so good. (laughs) So basically a Cheryl, everyone needs a Cheryl who can take care of things and also take care of the other women in your brain. But she had all these loose end women in her brain and no one to actually care for all the women. Yes. So in the end, she lost herself. And
0: run a schedule and get it together and be a Cheryl. Yeah, she
1: needs an organizer. She needs she needs a hyper-organized, detail-oriented Cheryl, but she was missing that and her body went into yeah. panic mode. So hopefully we all have I a Cheryl. I think I have
0: 19 <laughs> Cheryls and that's my problem.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just, I mean, that's good. just nineteen all,
0: taskmasters it, trying to run the show. I uh, know yeah. I think I think you only need one Cheryl. Um yeah, do you do you have a Cheryl?
1: I yeah, I think I probably have a few Cheryls. I think there is such a thing as being hyper organized and overly um I don't I guess controlling. You were
0: a big time producer. I would be shocked if you don't have a few Cheryl's in there.
1: I have a few Cheryl's, but it also Cheryl also wants to control everything. Yes, which can also
0: be detrimental.
1: Which is good, but yeah, and Cheryl needs Cheryl help needs to too. loosen
0: the fuck up. <laughs> like when Betty's like, "I'm a stoner throughout my life." I'm like, "Yes, that is the that is the one Venn diagram I can't share with Betty." Like, uh, you know, this like kind of yes. relaxed ease. Um, God, I loved that chapter. Okay, so then, um. I, I loved how much she included about Cosmo. So she talks about how they've had this open relationship for a long time and it's kind of getting to this point of like, what are we doing? Like, why are we even doing this? And she brings them home for Thanksgiving and she says, maybe Thanksgiving is our funeral. Like kind of, it kind of feels like this is the end of the relationship. I'm going to bring him home and it's going to be too much. And after this, like we're over. And they have this like incredible like story about him making his own house shoes out of like fucking garbage bags (laughs) because their family doesn't wear shoes. Mm -hmm. And then as they are all gathered around the table, Betty's dad is like leading everyone in this kind of Thanksgiving. I'll say like kind of like prayer. And he says, um, you know, everyone think of close your eyes and think of something you don't deserve and that you're really grateful for. And Betty peeks her eyes open at Cosmo because that's who she's thinking about. And when she opens her eyes, she sees he's already looking at her. (laughs) It's a fucking love story. And so she goes, we give up the charade. We find an apartment together. And they end the open relationship. And this is one of my favorite stories. She says, a few of his little, I'm a little teapot, underwearless hostess cared that basically they had, uh, that he had broken up with all of them. One such heartbroken schnauzer sent a postcard to the apartment early on, drunk on vacation with her girlfriends. I helpfully sat down with the kitchen scissors and cut the heart-dotted note into strips until it was a cup of dust, at which point I presented it to my now official boyfriend, mail-free you i mean
1: i love cosmo i mean i know they went through hard times but uh i fell in love with him through this chapter too especially when uh they adopt a dog together and they moved to from new york to la for pilot season
0: take us to the proposal
1: so the way he asked her to marry him was that they had been together for 10 years and he gave her two rings so he gave her a no ring and a yes ring
0: yes okay so she's like off performing a movie or, or she's like auditioning for something. And she comes into the house and he's like, come in the bedroom. And she's like, Oh no, like he turned into a Republican or he's been cheating on me. And she goes in and he's made a, a headboard out of this apple tree from their yard. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Look what I did. I made our bed out of your childhood apple tree. And then he presents her the two rings. Okay, go back. A
1: no, talk. a no ring and a yes ring. And she said her initial reaction was she wanted to vomit.
0: Yeah, which I loved this engage. There are not enough engagement stories about how fucking weird it is to get engaged. And he said the no ring is where you take this ring, we're not going to get married, and you're going to marry yourself. And that's, I know that's the Betty in you. You want to, you've always been afraid of marriage. You don't really want to give into this relationship. I get that. Take this ring. Or you can take the yes ring, and we're going to get married, and we're actually going to do this for reals. And she feels, she says yes. She's like, I'll take the yes ring. And then she's like, I don't think I want this ring, and feels sick.
1: Right. And so she says she went to tell her brain women about the proposal, and she said she figured all of them would say, No, don't get married. But she said, When she tells the brain women, they all screamed and were elated. And she says, Of course, I want to be with him yeah. forever. So her brain women, she had to step back and, and talk to Cheryl and the other women. And they yes. told her.
0: And the next day, she realized she was exuberantly happy, which I think is just. Engagements aside, any big moments in your life that you could go through a terrible feeling, then a good feeling until you can settle into whatever the true feeling is because our brains are like that. Let me ask you a question. If someone proposed to you with two rings, a no ring and a yes ring, what would you do? Like, if if that was your proposal, like, how would you take it?
1: I I would be very touched. I would be touched. Um, That's just, I've never even heard of that. It's so thoughtful and uh, I was proposed two years ago, and there was one ring. So but, rude! Uh,
0: there could have been two. No, just kidding.
1: <laughs> there could have been two. Where's the other ring? Can I keep <laughs> both? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think people should take note of Cosmos. That's a that's a that's such a loving. I think um, just offering, like it's okay, no matter what. There's no pressure. I think the pressure is much. You know, it's reduced by far when the person you know will love in, in any form.
0: I, I've heard of it one other time with. Diane Carroll's second husband, he said, you can have this ring and we'll be married. You can have this brooch and we'll be friends. And yeah, it is. And you know, my guest on that episode, Lacey Mosley was like, I would take them both. And I have to say like, if someone was like, there's two rings, I'd be like, what are we doing with that other ring though? Like I should, I want to marry myself and you like both rings. (laughs)
1: Let's get the cash.
0: Or let's get the cash. Seriously. I fell in love with who they are as a couple. They get a, they buy this like crazy, shitty old house upstate. Cosmo just like loves renovating. They have a dog named Babe. Babe's going to come up more later. And the way they go to pilot season is that they drive across the country camping in tents to take Betty to pilot season. And there's one pilot season Mm -hmm. story um, I absolutely have to get into, which is that first off, she- this is one of the greatest stories I've ever read in a book ever. She realizes halfway during the audition that a pair of previous underwear, you know, when you like take off your pants, and I don't know if you know this, but maybe some of you listening will know this. So you take off your pants and your mm-hmm. underwear goes with it. And then you rewear the pants and the underwear is in the leg of the pants, but you don't, especially with lady underwear, like which can be made of very thin material, you don't realize it till later. So I have definitely had this experience. Betty is auditioning mm-hmm. when she realizes there's a pair of underwear making its way down her calves and out her ankle and she she's like the room is like holding its breath and like what's gonna happen and she tries to play it off like she did it on purpose she pulls out the underwear mm-hmm. and and uses it like a phone and answer and is like hello and she says and she improvises a telemarketing <laughs> call and there and she says um I made the horrific mistake of looking up and making sweeping eye contact with the first row of apparently hundreds of executives in the room, all looking down. Sophie's choice extras staring into the ground and mortification. I understood it. It was the only time I understood them. So incredible. And then she says these five actresses, like when you make it to the final round of a pilot, basically there'll be like five of you and you go in for these like two hour sessions. You all know each other. It's hell. Um, basically they all get into this elevator and their phones start to ring when the doors opened. The one poor perfect woman whose phone didn't ring walked out. Suddenly realizing she was alone, she stopped turning slowly to look back at the frozen four of us, perplexed why we weren't all getting off. I will never forget the elevator doors closing on her, saying the words, what what, what are you guys? And then the sound of the echoing lobby air, sucked out by the squish of the doors. Then our ears popping in dead silence. We quietly put our phones back in our bags, sad and dumb. What became of you, fifth woman? I want for you, farm and billions. The four of us re-auditioned another two hours. None of us got the part.
1: Brutal. Brutal. Brutal and so
0: accurate. Awful. Ooh, so
1: accurate. Yeah. Okay. She said during that time, um, her husband was flourishing, like, in their new fixer-upper, and she was drowning.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. There's so much in the book. Well, let's try and get to it. So, Glow comes out. Okay. She is a star, and she's like, oh, my God, I made it to the fucking palace. And- She talks about um, trying to do, like, the press junkets to get awards and how excruciating it is. And, like, no one cares. And and it's, Mm -hmm. like, not the palace that she thought of. And then she gets this huge, huge role, which is she is going to be the lead in a movie called The Hunt. Okay, will you take people through what happened?
1: So she got this lead in the role, and she really fought hard for that lead because she was considered an unknown or just, you know, a TV actress at that point. And there were really big names in the hunt that a lot of them were, are killed off in the beginning. Um, so she fought really hard for the role. Uh, it was all filmed. They had a trailer ready. It, this trailer started to circulate, and this was during um, Trump's presidency. And Trump targeted the trailer, saying that it was um, basically an agenda film to uh, disgrace the the right wing
0: and to urge liberals to kill Republicans, because the film was satirical, yeah yeah,
1: yeah. it's a very violent film it's killing a lot of, of Republicans in the film, and so they canceled the release. The studio just said we're shelving it, and she didn't think it, was, it would ever see the light of day, and this went on for months
0: yeah, I think I mean what really got me is i've actually seen um, some close friends of mine go through this where. The Hunt was a studio blockbuster film. It is the type of thing that takes your career to Meryl Streep or um, Kate Blanchett or Natalie Portman. Like this, this is the thing that makes you a superstar. And she had to like train. She she learned how to like deadlift 250 pounds. It is a true true action movie.
1: Yeah, she has a killer oh. fight scene in that in that movie with Hilary Swank. So she said that she was. Given that role, but it overlapped one week with Glow. And the studio, I guess Netflix said she could not do it. So so she had to like basically beg. She wrote many essays, email essays to the men in charge who she calls the Palace Kings, saying that she was fighting to finally get her chance to, you know, be in a movie. All of them yeah. said no. She said the she said one woman made it happen. I don't know if she lists the woman's name. Cindy. But she said
0: yeah, she elicits shit. Okay, Cindy. so
1: one woman out of all the dozens of email essays she wrote got got the studio to be like, yeah, we can we can have her do this movie if it's just one week. We'll make it happen. It's not that big a deal. Um, which yeah. was devastating that I think she was so I can just imagine all the men just being like, no, that's we don't we don't have time no. for that.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing the thing that I've witnessed happen to other people is when your moment comes in Hollywood and everyone, everyone in suits, all the men, all the everyone is like. You're about to be famous. Your whole life is going mm-hmm. to change. And she films the movie and she's proud of it. And I have to say, she's fucking incredible she in it. She should be an action star in every, I mean, when I saw it in quarantine, I was like, what the fuck? Like, this woman's incredible. Uh, and then the movie's canceled and everyone had you believing this lie mm-hmm. and it just fucking goes away. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes back out, I have to read the paragraph about the light. Do you you remember Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. So she's devastated that it doesn't come out. It's just horrifying. She tries, she tries, and finally she gives up. Then one day she gets a call, and they're like, it's going to be released in theaters. And she's like, you know what? Uh, It's changed me forever. And this is is what I've seen happen in other people, where she's like, I don't care about this business in the same way, and I never will again. Like, you killed me.
1: She said that, like, during the the height of GLOW— She really got disillusioned with it all as well because she was like encouraged to get social media. She went to training and she like quickly deleted all that stuff. Like she was on, I think she said Twitter for a week or, and didn't even do Instagram. She, I was really impressed by how like over it she got so fast.
0: Yeah, earlier in the chapter about Cosmo, she said, she's like watching Cosmo and their dog, Babe, like jump into a river on one of these camping trips. And she said, in the dark, I thought, Chase your dream, Gilpin, sure, but don't let it ruin this. Don't drift off so far that you forget this and suddenly it's too late to save it. Yeah. And so yeah, that's that's how I think it goes away so fast for yeah, her. She, she was saying and she then, was having
1: to hire people to make it look like she belonged. And she never she never felt like she belonged. I, I do love the she has a brief chapter where she was very candid about when she was, um, before she got the hunt, she was working on a Dog's Purpose sequel. <laughs> I really thought that was funny. Yeah. And I really, because she she doesn't name like a lot of names in the book, but she was pretty, like, you could tell she was a little embarrassed by that. And she had to play like someone who hated dogs and was screaming at a beagle. Yeah. <laughs> and like, meanwhile, she has this dog, Babe, that she just adores. And uh, I thought that was very funny.
0: You know, as a dog person and you're a dog person, I, I'm not even kind of covering the chapters she has about her dog, babe, because it, I'm too, I'm, I'm so emotional. Um, but they're so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the hunt finally comes out in theaters. They're like, it's happening. And she's like, I don't care. She walks down the red carpet in a black suit. She's just like, I'm going to live my fucking dreams. Uh, and just kind of be happy. And she had this one take. She begged the director to do. She calls it her dinosaur take and she watches in the movie and he uses it. And it's like this incredible acting moment. Um, and I completely agree. It's just so incredible. And she said, A girlfriend mouthed a modern, I see you and I'm proud. A bald suit in the second row turned around and looked at me. I heard a breathy wow from a stranger. Cosmos squeezed my shoulder. And then I saw it. The tiny light, a real one, appearing like a fairy, right in the center of the front row, gleaming up at me, sparkling hello for just the one second it would last. The tiny light of a cell phone. Your dream comes true. The world flickers in recognition. Then it checks its email. It happened, though. No trumpets, no lighting. I looked at my hands, and they looked the same, but it was nice. The movie came out in theaters on a Friday, Friday the 13th of March, March 2020. It played to empty theaters for two days. Then, of course, as everything was, it was gone by Sunday.
1: I remember that. I remember that.
0: Mm. Yeah. 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 And that's, but now I look back where I was like, what is this movie that has popped up? Why is it so good and incredible? Like, why did I, yeah. And it was, oh, so beautiful. And at the same time, she is taking care of Babe, who's gotten sick. And um, I'm too sensitive to go into these scenes, but they were, I definitely cried through all yeah. of them. And at one point she's like in a white suit doing press for the movie and sticking her finger in babes, butt to, to help him poop, mm-hmm. which um, it was just kind of this perfect moment. And then she says after the, so the movies comes out on Friday, she said the following Tuesday, I walked into the kitchen holding a stick with two lines and she's pregnant. And, She gives birth and she writes this. She said, the wasted time hating my body. My body was now not posing and shrinking, but sorcerizing and expanding. I'd spent decades treating it like a Tamagotchi. And now I saw it was a NASA supercomputer all along. The moral of the story is not every woman should have a baby. Fuck no. The moral is we are capable of cauldron shit. So proceed accordingly.
1: The witch, right? Cauldron shit.
0: Yeah, the witch cauldron shits, her Salem stuff. And oh my gosh, Kyle, we made it to the end. And she names her daughter,
1: Mary, babe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And basically she, as Kyle said, so earlier in the book, she's like afraid of having a kid one day and really afraid of having a girl because she doesn't know how to be a girl and she's struggling with her womanhood. And she thinks the baby is a boy and it comes out a girl and she's like oh my god and yeah they name it mary babe and babe is is their dog's name and it's now their daughter's middle name because it was this dog they had for close to 10 years who was like this like yeah. really special animal as i say looking at a needy quarantine dog who is asleep on my feet <laughs> So good. i know
1: and my two dogs are back there in the in the blurred background as well uh no a brilliant book i you know i knew we were going to do this and i i read the book and i was like really is the book that i read really going to be my favorite book of the year because of course it's always fun like when you can really criticize and i was like "Mm, yeah it is and it's like yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) wait this is your favorite book of the year
1: i my top three were are this and then jeanette mccurdy's book and molly shannon's book but I really do think yeah. this takes a cake, just because the writing is is really what does it. it and um, like you said, you need to take your time with it, delve in, and really appreciate every mm-hmm. every sentence. And oftentimes oftentimes go back, which I think is impressive.
0: I completely agree. And revisiting the book to do this podcast with you, I was just like. Holy shit. I actually, yeah. I mean, there's just so, there's so many lines we didn't even read on this. And so I, I definitely encourage people to find this book, tell people about this book, know that you've got to like walk yourself into it or listen to the audio book. Um, but I think Betty Gilpin's just like a revelation.
1: Yeah. And actually, um, the past week I just, on a Betty Gilpin tear, I watched, um, Gaslit on stars. She's with Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. So it was like a limited series, but not many people have stars, but she's phenomenal in that show as well.
0: Okay, well, now I'm going to go get stars because I need a show to watch. Was it good? Was it a good show? It was show? good.
1: It's only eight episodes about the Watergate scandals, but so you kind of need to enjoy history a bit. But Betty and Julia Roberts is actually fantastic in it. Yeah.
0: Okay, wow, we're here. It's the book deal test. Okay, first question Was the author vulnerable and did she share her truth? Absolutely hundred percent. Now you're even thinking of like the wedding chapter and the DIY wedding, and she like scissors off the bottom of her wedding dress that her mother had made so she mm-hmm. could dance. Like, oh, it was great. It was great. Okay. Uh, second question. Was it entertaining to read?
1: Yes. I, I was thoroughly entertained. I mean, I, it's entertaining if you feel like you have to go back and reread it, but you also want to. So that's keeping your mm-hmm. attention.
0: Yep. I'm, I'm giving it a yes, except probably the best book in the world. If it had 10% more clarity, I do need some clarifying intros and outros because I'm a little bit of a, what's that trash person. Um, however, even without it wildly entertaining, but that is what made the book a different read for me. Like, again, like I felt like I had to come to the book. Um, okay. Okay. Final question: Did reading this book elevate your life in some way?
1: Yes, it's my favorite book of the year, and I was tell I've been telling people (laughs) about it ever, even when I was a quarter way through. I was like, "You know Betty Gilpin, right?" And a lot of people don't know her by name, but I'm like, she was on Glow, she was on Nurse Jackie, like she's in the hunt. You need to read this book. Yes, yes,
0: yes. I completely agree. I completely agree. The specific way this book elevated my life—oh my god—in so many ways. I mean, even. I will say the back half of the book, I, I was weeping throughout it. I felt moved. I felt like she was reminding me to be an artist again. Uh, when sometimes like things get like too, too slick. And there's this one line that really, uh, stuck with me. One, I'm going to have get a tattoo of it's hard to pick up a sword when you hate yourself. And then the second line is, uh, she's talking about, um, mirroring other women. Cause you're afraid to be yourself. And she said, it's conscious bridesmaiding the same but mm-hmm. less
1: no I agree
0: and I was like oh and um yeah uh, <laughs> that really got to me too. I
1: mean it inspired me to want to write um, I'm certainly not a f- anyone famous but just to document some of my own experiences because I think um, I can really see sort of the therapeutic uh, approach that it, it had on her when I hear her talk now about it. And also I love her take on social media in general and fame in general. And I think you can pl- apply that to any part of your life. Just like, we're always striving, climbing up that ladder and trying to achieve that brass ring. But when you do get know, she has a chapter in there called the glimpse, like you get it, it's it's never what it seems. And it, no matter what it is, it, it's fleeting. Like she says, it, it's an ant's heartbeat you know, of a second that we are this. Um, And to be content with where you are, you know, most of the time, uh, I think that that means a lot. So it sort of inspired me to sort of drop some of that weight, drop some of that weight, Um, that career dysmorphia or even just personal life dysmorphia.
0: Yes, that is so beautifully said. And I will say sometimes that message has been presented in other books of like, it's not as good as I like thought it was. And I'm like, shut up, (laughs) shut up. You're so, just be lucky, you know? And this book, I think delivered the message as what it was, which is like, it's Cosmo and Babe, like jumping in a cold river just to make you laugh because you didn't get a part.
1: And she's one of those, you know, celebrities that has zero social media presence. And it's like, I'm not ready to do that yet. <laughs> yeah. It's like.
0: <laughs> well, I also, that is the one I go up against because I'm so deeply in yeah. love with her. I'm devastated to not be able to check in. Like, you, what are you going to do? Write me a book every two years, Betty? Like, I will say, I'm going to put this out in the universe. Like, my goal is to one day work with Betty Gilpin. It's always been my goal, but I'll say it now on this podcast. I mean, it's just.
1: It's going to happen. It's going to happen. What a. F-
0: fucking hero. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Tell everyone, as we're talking about getting rid of social media, uh, if you do stay on it, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so I, I have gotten rid of most, but I am on Instagram. It's just producer underscore Kyle. And yeah, I'm starting a new job at um, Good Day DC soon and we'll be booking segments and um, producing and writing and... Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm open to work for other stuff in the future.
0: Kyle, I cannot wait to have you back. I adore you. I'm so glad I got this time with you. And um, you have to come back and do another book one
1: day. I will definitely do that.
0: That's all for this week's episode. If you want to see some gems that I'm going to post about this episode, go to my Instagram at Chelsea It is also linked in the show notes. We also have a Facebook group celebrity book club podcast that is a space where you can have more conversations people also talk and have conversations on our patreon which you should join if you join our patreon you get one extra bonus episode a month there's also all kinds of other perks i know it sounds daunting to sign up but it's honestly super easy again it's linked in the show notes you sign up. We have a pay what we can option. We have five dollars a month option. We send you a link. You just add that to your podcast player, and then all the bonus episodes just come to your phone like normal. It's super great. And um, yeah, I'm always on Instagram where you can start conversations in the comments. A huge shout out to our podcast producer Kate Downey. She's the best. She does everything. And our episode engineer DJ Bouncy House. Uh, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you soon for another juicy book.